What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstorypregnancy 
and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I'm so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birth story podcast. Hi, Gail. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. Um, Well, I am the middle of three girls. I'm originally from New Hampshire. I'm married to my college sweetheart. I'm in medical device sales, so I work in the operating room. And twin boys that are 10. Ah, I'm so excited (laughs) to just dig into this story. And we have a box of tissues, so... Uh-huh. We should probably say trigger warning, right? Probably. So I mean, we're not going to like jump too far ahead, but the twins were born very early. They're the tech, I think the technical term is actually micro preemies. Any baby born before 27 weeks is considered a, a micro preemie. A micro so trigger warning. This is, we're going to probably cry. I've got some tissues and we're just going to like dig in. Gail, let's start with getting pregnant. Yeah, so um wasn't easy for me. I have I was diagnosed with Hashimo- Hashimoto thyroid disease, which okay. is autoimmune thyroid disease essentially. So my body attacked my thy- started attacking my thyroid and um when we were trying to get pregnant, that was discovered because it just wasn't happening. Was that family history or no, what? No, it has nothing to do with that, I don't think. Okay. Um so it's just as a random... Right. It's different than an underactive or an overactive thyroid, which a lot of... I mean, it's very common, but it's an actual autoimmune disease that okay. I just never knew I had. I mean, you're, some of the symptoms are coldness and hair loss, and I didn't have any of those symptoms, but okay. your thyroid affects your menstrual cycle. And so I wasn't ovulating, essentially, because of that. Did you... I mean, I had no you knew idea. you weren't ovulating. You weren't having a period? No, that's what was tricky about it. Okay. So sometimes I would go without having a period. Sometimes I would have a period, but you can actually ovulate. You can shed the lining of your uterus without producing follicles. follicles. Yeah, that's where it kind of started. And so eventually we decided to do Clomid and I kept that. I was really ashamed of all of that. I kept that very close to the, the chest. I was... So pause right there. Yes. Did you get Clomid from your OBGYN yes. or from a fertility clinic? No, I never went to a fertility clinic. My okay. OBGYN was trying to figure out in conjunction with a reproductive endocrinologist who I, who diagnosed me with Hashimoto okay. and got me regulated on Synthroid and got those levels in check. Okay. And then they said, you're good to go. And... I still didn't get pregnant, wasn't getting pregnant. And so my OBGYN said, let's just try Clomid. It's probably not going to work. How long? Literally the first month I took Clomid. No, I mean, how long did you have, how, how many months did you go without getting pregnant while actively trying? From start to like about 14, 15 months. So after a year, they, you know, when you've been trying for a year, they, that's when they kind of start talking about Clomid. How old were you? 26. So at 26 years old, you had this thyroid condition. 
you tried naturally to get pregnant for over a year. And then they said, hey, why don't we start Clomid? Yes. And then you took Clomid. But you said you were living in shame about that. Totally. This was 10 years ago. Yes. 10 years ago, because at the time I did not know really anyone who had a hard time getting pregnant. I know it's very common now, but I... I didn't know. It was common then. It's been common for a long time. I'm just so glad that you're on the show talking because the more we have these conversations, the more it's going to empower women to not feel alone. Right. I mean, I I had two friends that knew everything, but outside of them, part of it is that it was just really a hard time and I didn't want to talk about it to everybody. And in the job that I had then, I, I knew so many people and I was in, you know, pharmaceutical sales. And so I was, people knew me, but that was a part I just wasn't really ready to talk about, I think. And mm-hmm. also, you know, you're scared and, and there's shame because something doesn't work right in your body. And I was young. I mean, yeah. going back, would I have shared it? Yes. Now, obviously I'm here, but um, then I just wasn't there yet. I didn't have maturity at that point. Did you and your husband, were you in active dialogue about it or were you just tabling it? We, it was pretty much kind of a, like, we didn't talk a ton about it. He was scared a little bit too, you know? I mean, the thoughts of like, well, what if we can't have kids and how long is this road going to be? And so, you know, he was very supportive and concerned, but... We didn't focus all of our dialogue on, we tried not to, okay. but I was pretty consumed. I personally was really consumed with him. He's super chill and had, at one point said to me, I married you. Like, and I, if we never have kids, I, my life is completely full because I love you. And it, you are the reason you are more important to me than anything. If for some reason we can't have kids, biologically, like we'll figure something, we'll either adopt or he never, he never made me feel like it was going to cause division in our marriage at all. Oh, that just like tears in my eyes. Like that he, you have this man that's telling you, I'd rather be your husband than be a dad if I had to choose. And that's just like, oh God. Okay. Just get me from the beginning. So, okay. Take a breath. Walk me through when you started Clomid, how did that make you feel? Um, nervous and excited. Okay. Excited because there was now like just hope, you know, that, okay, we're going to, we're going to do an ultrasound. You know, she walked, my doctor was very clear about like, we're going to take this. You can take it up to six months. Don't get your hopes up. You know, you haven't really had a normal cycle in quite a while. So let's see how your body responds to the Clomid. Um, So I took that, went back in and had an ultrasound and she said, it looks like there's one good follicle, maybe two, but don't get your hopes up. But you know, you've got like a 48 hour window, get to it yeah, and we'll see you back, you know, in about two weeks because you take Clomid, I think you start on day 10 or I think it was day 10 you start. And is it oral? It's oral. It's just a pill. Okay. It's just like a pill. Just a little pill. You don't feel, you know, she said there, there could be, you know, hormone imbalances. You might be moody. You might be exhausted. You, you know, you could have a a 
physical re- response to the Clomid, but I never had any of that. I took okay. the pill. I felt like I, for the first time and you know, over a year was like, this could actually happen. Like it's, I have a follicle. I have a follicle. <laughs> Yay. Um, Maybe too. Yes. Okay. But even at that point, we didn't talk about twins. We didn't talk about multiples because even with Clomid, the percentage is like 3% okay. uh, multiples. It Clomid's the first step in fertility from, I don't know if things have changed since. I believe it's still the first okay. step. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's still a relatively low percentage of people who have multiples that route. My doctor didn't even mention multiples at my appointment. She said, just see, and actually made me think it was more likely that I wouldn't work. And so not to get my hopes up again, you know, at day 27, I was like, I can't wait any longer. I had an appointment, you know, for like the following week because she said, just set an appointment either way. I want you to come in. And I couldn't wait. I got home from work, took a pregnancy test. And I mean, the minute that pee hit the stick, it was the brightest red line for a positive test I'd ever seen. And I had a couple of times thought maybe there was a chance I was pregnant through that year before and taken tests and like waited and looked in different levels of light to see if maybe like there was a faint light. So I knew, you know. Yeah. This was definitely positive. Wow. Yes. I was so excited. So the first time, like the the very first first time. First Clomid round. Yes. There it was. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so how'd you tell your husband? I told him he had to come home early from work. I think I was home at four o'clock or something that day. I was home early and he knew. And we just both like, I was shaking. I was so, I didn't have the response that I like literally started shaking. I didn't cry. I was just more, I just could not believe it. And we just hugged each other. We just talked, you know, I can't believe this is happening. We're pregnant at all. So went to my appointment and Micah came with me. Um, They started doing the ultrasound and I had never really seen an ultrasound. Like this would have been like an internal vaginal ultrasound that early on. Yes. Okay. Um, And she starts pointing to the screen and I mean, I could see two sacks, but I didn't know what I was looking at quite yet. Yeah. Um, she's like, okay, so we have, um, we have two sacks here and one very clearly had like a green kind of light to it that you could, you could tell there was life there. The other didn't. And so she said, I see, can you see this? Like, this is, this is the beginning of a life. And so you're definitely, we have one here. And I can't, so we're so early, I don't see anything in this one. So you may have twins or you might have what's called disappearing twin syndrome. We don't know if these were identical or if they're fraternal. Like we don't know. You have to wait another two weeks till eight weeks. Oh no. Okay. (laughs) But you were still like, oh my goodness, there's babies in there. We were so excited. Yeah. So we decided not to say anything about twins because we just didn't know. And, um, told all, you know, our immediate family and a few friends. And then uh, we just kind of waited. And at eight weeks, we went back and there was another heartbeat. Uh, at eight weeks, was it also an internal? Yes. Vaginal ultrasound? Yes. Okay. And she was like, well, 
he just was a little late to the game, but yeah, you've got two. Oh Welcome to the world of like fertility and Clomid. You know, this was the... I've got a question for you now. Yes. I'm going to jump ahead a little okay. bit because I know your boys are Isaac and Mason and yes. Mason's always been a little bit smaller, smaller than Isaac. Do you think that that one was Mason? Yes. Okay. Do you so, know that for sure? Yes. Or, well, okay. because of the position, like baby A and baby B, that's how you kind of talk about twins okay. throughout a pregnancy, A and B. And I would imagine with triplets, it would be C, A, B, C. Okay. Um, was, he was always 25% smaller Okay. And even at birth, he was roughly 25. Was he baby B? Or was he, he was. Okay. He was baby B. Um, and so the, the thing that we don't know is, was that Clomid or was that like my body actually did ovulate after the Clomid was out of my system because he was conceived later. Wow. At least a couple of days. Yeah. Most likely. Unbelievable. Because he, he's smaller. And the sperm stays alive for guess, a couple of yeah. days. I mean, so this is just this is just crazy. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, this is eight weeks. So eight weeks we start telling were you people sick? we're having twins. Not I was no, I was exhausted. Okay. I was exhausted. I was a little nauseous, but okay. I only I think I only threw up like one time during those initial, you know, two months really of um my pregnancy. Yeah. I was not I wasn't sick. I was, I felt like I could just go into like a coma sleep that I had never experienced before. I would come home from work and just like fall asleep and wake up at eight. My husband would be like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just so tired. And then right at around 12 weeks, I felt like I hit some sort of a stride. I mean, my face was glowing. My hair was glowing. I was like so alive. And that, that fatigue had really like left, you know, my first trimester was just a, a tired one, but then I felt, I felt amazing. I really did. I felt, and I look back at pictures, I looked like so alive. And I remember saying to my mom, like, was this how your pregnancies were? Because I feel better than maybe I've ever felt before. And I wasn't ginormous yet, you know, as far as like, I was gaining a normal amount of weight. My belly was obviously growing and I looked more than 12 weeks pregnant probably to most people, but I felt great. Was the Hashimoto's in remission while you were pregnant? No. So I was having to go and get regular, like every, every appointment with twins and with all the Hashimoto, I was going to the doctor about every three to four weeks. Once I hit, I was like every two weeks until 12 weeks. And then I went at like 15 and 18. I was going more frequently than normal and they were checking my thyroid and it was never quite in check. Okay. So did, in, are you able to take thyroid medicine when yes, you're pregnant? Yes. Okay. So you continued to take Synthroid? Yep. Okay. And they would just adjust my dose. I think we adjusted it twice early on up. Primarily okay. you're going up because my body doesn't make TSH. So okay. So your belly starts growing. Like when did you notice your, like that you were showing? Do you, do you I, I felt like I was showing at like 10, 11 weeks. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I went through periods where I didn't feel like it was growing much. And then all of a sudden I would wake up and I would just feel like I doubled in size and 15, 16 weeks. I was really showing. I looked more like I was probably 20. I was always about, I would say a month, maybe bigger. Than someone who was carrying a single. And then around 20 weeks, I got 
pretty big. You're feeling good. I'm your feeling pregnancy's good. Your pregnancy is going great. You're going to all your appointments. Yep. Take Did you have a baby shower? I had two planned okay. um, for like, you know, 28 weeks pregnant and then another one at like 32. Okay. So because, you know, as we were getting to like to the 20, 22 week time frame, you know, my doctor was saying not all twins make it to 40 weeks. And, you know, I wanted to have a natural birth and didn't want to, I was kind of priming her for, I didn't want a C-section and I wanted to do this. And I think that I could, and, um, I don't want to go early if I don't have to. And I was beginning to think those things and starting to formulate like a birth plan to some degree, but I also was not as you know, I didn't clearly, I didn't have a doula and I wasn't reading tons and tons of books. I was, I mean, I was very simply, I was just enjoying my pregnancy and I was working and most people start to panic and start buying books and stuff like 30, 32 weeks, you know? So it's not abnormal that at 20, 22 weeks, you wouldn't have started any of that. You're just, and a lot of people will describe it like sometimes they forget they're pregnant like that they feel so good some days that they then they look down and are like, right. oh, yeah. Did you have any of those days where you felt so good that you were just like, oh, yeah, there's, a, there's two babies? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, because it hadn't come easy, I think, you know, I would maybe forget just how great I felt that, oh, there's there's two growing inside of me. But I also I think it was a little possibly a little bit different. And I just was my days, I just felt like, wow, I, I can't believe I'm getting to experience this. Like this is, I have this secret and it's, I'm part of like this new world of pregnant women and future moms. And I thought about that a lot, you know, that I had, I was like, I don't know, in a completely new phase of, of life really. And I loved it. Yeah. All right, Gail, let's jump from where you were at, at that 22 week mark to like you know, 24. Okay. So around 24, 25 weeks, I was starting to have a lot of back pain, lower back pain to the point where I would get in my car to go to work and I could not find relief. I tried different pillows. I was moved to, to tears. It hurt so bad. And I would get out of my car and stretch and I would feel better the pain, the back pain was really very, very real. And then I also had a fair amount of swelling in my ankles and my like lower extremity leg area from time to time. And I couldn't really place when that would happen. It wasn't just when I was standing for a long period of time or driving. It was sometimes random times, you know, early in the morning or late at night. Like there was no real rhyme or reason to it. So you telling your doctor about this? So I had a appointment on Tuesday of 26 weeks, right? Like my, you know, you're counting your weeks every Tuesday was Mm -hmm. a week. So I had a 26 week appointment and I was waiting to talk to my doctor then, which I did. So I went to my 26 week appointment and. And you shared like over the last two weeks, these things have been occurring. Yes. And what I didn't do was tell her that it hurt so bad that I was, you know, moved to tears or make it a big deal. Scale I, of one to 10. What do you remember your pain being? An eight. Oh, okay. I was like, and I have a pretty high tolerance for pain, but I didn't, 
I don't know why I diminished it. I think, you know, in retrospect, I just thought, well, maybe pregnancy is just painful, you know, and, and maybe I thought I had a high tolerance for pain, but I really don't. But in retrospect, I was in a lot of pain. Okay. The swelling was not okay. There was nothing okay about it. But my language to my doctor was, this is what's happening. I didn't, I told her and I said, what do you think about that? And she said, honey, that's par the course. Like twins is a lot on your body. You're gaining, I had gained 30 pounds, which was good. She was hot. And she said, that has something to do with it, but everything looks good. And she said, I'm going to check your cervix in two weeks at 28 weeks. I'm not going to check you today. We did a, you know, an ultrasound. Everything looked good. She sent me home with my orange glucose bottle and my next appointment would be to do the glucose test okay. and a cervix check. When they did the ultrasound, did they do what's called a non-stress test where they put a blue and pink strap on you no. to monitor contractions to no. see if you were having any? No. Okay. No. And at this point, preemies were not even, she never talked about going into early labor with me. Um, you know, again, I didn't know anybody with twins and never had met or known a friend to have a preemie. So it just was not on my radar. Yeah. Did she tell you to do anything like go to the chiropractor or take Tylenol? Like, did she give you any strategies? Just rest. She said, you really need to get off your feet. You okay. need to get off your feet at the end of the day, and you need to take it easy and rest. And but, that's, but she didn't want to put you on, um, you know, bed rest or something no, like write like you that. out of work. Okay, no, so nothing like. I mean, I had back pain, but it it hadn't lasted about the entirety of my pregnancy. It was somewhat recent, and I thought, well, maybe it'll go away. You know. Yeah. So that was a Tuesday on Friday morning. I had a breakfast with uh, one of the offices I worked with, and um, one of the doctors in there looked at my ankles. She and I was with several coworkers, mm-hmm. and um, she said, "I don't like the way your ankles look. You need to sit down." And um, she's like, "You're really swollen." She tried to get a pulse down by my ankle, and she said, "I mean, I can feel your pulse. Pulse. It's kind of weak. I think you should go home." So I went home on Friday and just rested. Mm-hmm. And um, did you call your doctor? No, okay, didn't call my doctor. That night, I laid on the couch and my back was just throbbing. Okay. And I was telling Micah, "I don't feel well. Like I just don't feel well." He, did you feel nauseous? No, but okay. I felt weird. ill and weird. Okay, and my back was like it felt like it was pulsing lower back pain, pulsing. Okay. Now I had Braxton Hicks. I knew what that felt like on the front of my belly. I knew what those short little tight spasms felt like is how I would describe them. Yeah. And I wasn't having those. Okay. So went to bed Friday night, slept through the entire night. Okay. Woke up Saturday morning, went shopping for maternity clothes. And I was in the dressing room at Nordstrom And I had a a sharp kind of pain in my leg, like up through my groin area. And it made me double over in the dressing room. I was like, oh. Did it feel like a lightning bolt? Somewhat like that, yeah. And I left the dressing room, left all the clothes in, went home and laid down. Okay. I'm like, something, I just, again, don't feel well. Micah was out with a bunch of friends that day. I don't know if he was golfing, he was doing something. Came home later and I said, I still don't feel good, you know. We stayed, we watched a movie Saturday night went to sleep and, you know, I was praying like, please, I just pray that these 
these whatever this is, this sickness, or maybe I was getting sick, I didn't know. These back spasms would go away. Did it ever cross your mind, I'm in labor? No. Never. Okay. I thought something might be wrong, but it never crossed my mind that I was going into labor. Okay. So let's time out right here because this podcast is supposed to be about you telling your story, but it's supposed to be education to empower women to have knowledge for their own pregnancies. If you could go back to Gail 10 years ago, in that moment, what would you tell her? I would have told her to call your doctor. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what's going on. Your lack of knowledge is irresponsible. I feel like I was really, and I had a lot, I had to deal with a lot after the boys were born because I was like, I always thought I was smart and, but I didn't, I didn't know what to ask. What I would tell her is call your doctor, ask questions, be on top of how you feel because how you feel matters and you're not, it's not just your body. There are babies there. And just because everything's been perfect doesn't mean something, I knew something wasn't right. And I, I don't know whatever fears you have, Gail, get over them and ask questions like, you know. Um, that's what I would say. No question is a dumb question. No feeling that your body's feeling like you think you might be overreacting is, is an overreaction. It's your body, you know? And, and I would say the pain scale is a really important tool for communication. So kind of think about that one to 10 and to be communicating, yes. where are you? Where were you yesterday? Where are you today? Where are you tomorrow? And making sure you're tracking that pain yes. scale with your doctor, yes. I think is a good way for your doctor to be like roped in on how you're actually feeling. You know, feeling. Yeah. Okay. So thank you. I just wanted to like, there's going to be women that are listening to this podcast that are pregnant with twins that are approaching 26 weeks. And we want to make sure that we are teaching them. If you start feeling a level eight back pain, call your doctor, right? right? That's a good takeaway, right? So you, that Saturday night, you go to sleep. I sleep all night. Sleep all night again. So Friday night, slept all night, Saturday night. Woke up, no back pain. Perfect. So you're like, God has answered my prayers. I am fine. This is over. And again, that's a little confusing when you're in labor. You don't know that, that, that those, it can be intermittent at times. Okay. And this, where we're going, this to me sounds like what I would call prodromal labor. Okay. It kind of stops and starts. And this is again, preterm. labor, but where it stops and starts and stops and starts, but it's coming more consistently than Braxton Hicks, Mm -hmm. but yours was presenting so differently. Yours was presenting as back pain, lower back pain. So Sunday morning I go to church and, um, have a similar shooting pain type feeling. I, uh, my friend next to me that I was standing next to had, has already had two kids and I reached over and I was like, is I'm like having some is shooting pain normal, you know? And she's like, totally, you know, and I sat down, okay. went away, went home. We went to the pool with some friends and I was in the pool and I looked at my friend and I said, it was the first time. And I don't even know why I said it, but I was like, I am in so much pain right now. How do you know when you're in labor? 
And she, I said, can you be in labor and not have con- like not have front contraction pain? And she, this friend too had had two kids and she's like, oh yeah, you can have back labor. And when she said that, it was like a light bulb of the last 72 hours just kind of going off. My husband went and got the car. I got in the car, literally soaking wet from the pool. And I called the nurse and it was a Sunday. So it was an answering service. I called my doctor. It was an answering service. She asked me a series of questions and she said, go straight to the hospital. We've already called them. They're waiting for you. We think you're in labor. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. So I went to the nearest hospital, which was about 15 minutes away. Was that where you were planning to deliver anyway? Or was that just the closest hospital? Closest hospital. Okay. Yeah. And walk in. They were very, very ready for me. And at this point now, though, I am like doubled over in pain. So my pain was in the, And I was having lower back and lower abdominal, like, you know, menstrual cycle type cramps. Okay. At this point now, it was okay. all coming on. I was feeling very nauseous, lightheaded a lot of different things. At this point, did you believe you were in labor? Yes. Okay. Yes. I believed that my husband and I drove in silence and he just like had his hand on my leg. He didn't even know what to say. He's a pretty quiet because you were 26 weeks and how many days? Five. 26, five. Sorry. So, okay. Let me just grab a, (laughs) so I get there and they Wheel me back, or not wheel me, but yeah, they put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me back to a room, hooked me up on a bed. And they, I mean, they're just moving quickly with all different kinds of things. And a doctor, I've, I don't know, she walks in because it's Sunday. She's not my doctor. She's like, I work with, you know, such and such practice. Um, this is my first weekend on call. And I'm really excited to meet you. And let's see what we have here. And she looks up at the monitor and I said that right, this, this pain that I'm having right now, um, this back pain I've been having for like two days. And she's like, honey, what, what you just experienced was a ginormous contraction. Do you see that on the monitor? And she checked me, um, and I was five centimeters and 90% effaced. And it was like two fifteen in the afternoon. Damn it. I'm sorry. I'll probably cut that up. So, um, you know, we were just like, what is okay? We're having these babies. And did they say that it was possible to stop labor at this point? So she said, I need to get a game plan together. I'll be back. And in about 
20 minutes, she came back and they started pumping me with magnesium and she starts talking about to stop the contractions. So they give you potassium to induce you. Magnesium has the opposite effect. Okay. And so she's, we're giving you magnesium. They're shooting me with shots of surfactant for their lungs. I mean, the information she was throwing at me was just like drinking from a fire hose. Like we're going to try to hold you off for 48 hours so that the surfactant can work on their lungs because lung development is what they were most concerned about. And the boys, their heart rates were fine. So they weren't in imminent danger at the moment. And, and then she left. And so I was there and I'm looking at Micah and he just looked like he saw a ghost. We weren't talking. I mean, at this point now, the magnesium with that dripping, it makes you feel like you're on fire on the inside and makes you very sick. So I am doubled over. I'm writhing in pain. Um, The contractions were still coming. Oh, yeah. They were coming and they were coming with like a vengeance. My body was... Expelling my your body babies. was not happy. And so um, around four, I did, went through that for about an hour plus. And then around four, a nurse came in and I said, I don't feel good. And I don't think this magnesium is working. And the nurse said, I'm just going to check you. And she picked her head back up. And as soon as she did, my water of the first sack literally like, when I say it burst, it hit the TV unit on the in front of my bed. It like exploded, wow. and I was kind of screamed. I was scared, and then they there was intercoms paging people, and she said, "You know, you're crowning, basically." So we're wheeling you into. They were going to put me asleep and try to do. They were saying a couple of different things. I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I knew that I was being wheeled out of that room and into an OR when the, the, the plan was to do a C-section, but I guess Mason was, he was crowning at the same time. I, 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 at the time I didn't, none of it was making very much sense to me. And I was blacking out and some pain. of the time because I was in so much pain from the contractions. Yeah. You're and in I had transition. no epidural or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Like you're in you know. transition. Right. With natural labor, with twins. Yes. I can't. I mean, it makes sense to me to hear you say you were blacking out in yes. pain. I actually at one point thought I was dying when they were wheeling me into the OR. I felt like all the life was draining out of my body because I was probably losing God. a lot of blood. And I felt like very weak. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is how it feels to die. Um, so many people have experienced that in childbirth, um, especially when you hemorrhage. Um, and it's just, it's more like the, I'm about to pass out. Right. So I think anyone who's passed out and kind of their blood pressure drops and their pulse drops and they're bleeding and they're scared. I just, it's a really, is it, it's actually a pretty normal feeling I've found that there are also people that are listening to this podcast that are healing from their births that aren't just pregnant. And so that's something to say, like, this is normal. Yeah. Many of us have felt that feeling. Yes. And you're not alone. Yeah. So 
um, let's see. From there, we get into the OR. And where's Micah? What's Micah so doing? So he, they told him he had to stay out because the plan was to do a C-section. So he called my parents, who live you know twenty hours away, and told them get here. And he would tell you he was so scared. He thought he didn't know if I was going to be okay. He certainly didn't know about the boys. And my parents, my parents have known him since he was 18, you know, because we were so young when we started dating. And my mom said that his voice was like shaking and he could hardly even get the words out and just said, you have to get here now. And my dad thought I was going to die. And he, you know, they were all just so terrified. It's just terrifying. Yeah. That whole scenario. No. Did you feel... Like the boys were going to be okay? No. And I thought, how, how can they live? They're not done. You know, like how can, how is this going to, I thought surely something would be wrong with them or they wouldn't make it or I had no idea how much they were going to weigh. I, I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I literally, you were just scared. Yeah. Looking back. I was thinking more about whether or not I was, I was going to be okay. Like what was going to happen to my body? Are they actually, am I actually delivering them? And then I realized when I realized that I was the thoughts of, of whether they were going to, I didn't think they were going to be alive. I didn't even, I didn't think it was going to be possible for them to make it. No, I thought it's very possible that we're going to go home without yeah, but I wasn't thinking that much because I was in so much pain. I had, I remember those thoughts. I just had, I just didn't, I, but I wasn't thinking all that much because of the pain, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if you did think it was, it's very normal to think, am I okay? Right. Right. Like right. In, in labor, most women will tell you that they had a hard time. They would ask every now and then, is the baby okay? But for the most part, you can't think about anything else other than, am I okay? Right. And I think that's what I was thinking, you know, yeah, mostly about myself. Um, not because I was being selfish, but because I just didn't know like what was even going on, what was happening. Right. It was all so shocking and I didn't have time to process anything. Were you having you, they said he was crowning. Were you having the urge to push? Yes. Okay. It's the they- minute I wheel, was wheeled into the OR, they said, we're not doing a C-section for baby A. You need to push. He's crowning. Okay. And so then another doctor arrived. So I had the doctor who had initially seen me from my practice and another doctor who they paged that was in-house, another OBGYN who I had never met, a male who came up and was kind of standing near my head and he was telling me how to push. Okay. And the other doctor was catching, was, was down and like talking to the nurses that were there. And there was clearly a lot of commotion with at the time I didn't know what it was, but neonatal beds and ventilator machines and things like that were being wheeled in. Okay. I was ineffectively pushing, but I had the urge to push. And so he kind of coached me through that and Mason was born and I didn't, I didn't hear a cry or anything. I just, I felt the relief. Mason was born first? Yes. So they had inverted. They had inverted. Baby A was not born first. Baby B was born first. first. 
And so he was born first and they whisked him away as fast as he was born, it felt like. And Micah was still not Micah, in there. Then Micah came, no, Micah came in while I was pushing. Okay, they, so they, they did let him come in him, for the birth. Yes. Okay. And he was just kind of crying and up at the top of my head. Okay. And then they were talking about cutting me to get Isaac out because he was in distress. They had an ultrasound machine. So there was just a lot at that point going on. You know, the doctor, the, the male doctor was ultrasounding my belly and he was saying now, now baby B, which was baby A, is breech. So we can't deliver vaginally. We have to cut you open and then the doctor said, no, I want to try to invert the baby. So okay. he got up on top of my belly on the bed, basically, okay. and inverted Isaac, turned him completely around and pushed him down. And again, you have I'm no blacking, drugs. No, I'm blacking out. I'm okay. like in so much pain yeah. that I am blacking out. And they burst my water sack. Okay. And with the version, with the version, and okay. burst. Now, actually, the the doctor that was down below, she ruptured the water sack that Isaac was okay. in. Literally, like went all over her face. Micah said, and they <laughs> said, go ahead and push. And so I pushed him out, and I heard a faint little cry. Oh wow! Yeah, and you hadn't heard me. I hadn't heard me since. I had no idea what was happening with him. Okay, and. You know, after Isaac was born, uh, they, it felt like the whole world like disappeared. I was shaking, like crazy shaking and had, I had to deliver the placenta, which I did. Were they, did they have two placentas? Two placentas. So both placentas. Okay. Um, and there was, you know, stitching and there, there's just, there was a lot going on. And I felt like the entire time all of that was happening, I was just like this crazy, cold, shaking mess on the table. Yeah. I, rem I remember that. And I don't have a, I don't remember all of the, you know, how many minutes all of that happened. And that's normal. Have has anybody told you that almost all women do this right after birth? Shake? Yeah. 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 It's totally normal and it's super weird, but like shaking from head to toe. Right. Yeah. So, and then Micah disappeared because he was over... Um, with the boys. And then um, shortly after that, they brought Isaac over to me and he was intubated. Okay. So, but they brought him over and I turned my head and I saw, all I saw was his little face. And I like turned my head away because I... And I just started sobbing for the first time. Like I actually was able to have some emotion. And um, Mikey kept saying, he's beautiful. Like, oh, he looks so great. And all I could think was he, he doesn't even look like a baby. <laughs> he didn't even look like his face didn't look complete. Like I just had never in my life seen a baby like that and um so then they whisked the boys out and wheeled me into my room and gave me drugs 
and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, that was, so this was 4.09 and 4.17 that the boys were born. Okay. So I got to the hospital at 2. so fast. They were born, yeah, a couple hours later. I mean, they were only eight minutes apart. Yes. So that whole inversion, all of that was very, very quick. And when we woke up, when I woke up, I looked over at the the board where they like, you know, on the little dry erase board where they write the name and the birth and like who you are. And that was when I saw their weight. And I felt like I had gotten punched in the stomach and it just said baby A. Which is now who? Mason. (laughs) Okay. So they've changed their... Yes. Orientation. Okay. Um, One pound, 12 ounces. And baby B, two pounds, one ounce. And I initially just think there's no way they're going to live. You know, how can a baby that small survive? And the weight, seeing it written out was, it was just overwhelming to me. Mike, we hadn't seen the boys really. Micah saw them a little bit more than I did in the room, but they had shut down the NIC unit and were really trying to care for them. This particular hospital really wasn't equipped for babies less than 28 weeks. A micro preemie, there's different equipment that they need from what I understand. So the neonatologist came in and said, you got, you guys have two options. You're, the boys are alive and they're intubated, but we really either need to airlift them to a more equipped facility, but you run the risk of brain bleeds and uh, just different things that can happen in transport with the preemie. Or you can wait, keep them here, and let's see how they do through the night. And it seemed like eternity. Mike and I just kept staring at each other, like, how, how do we make this decision? You know, you, you're deciding whether there could be potential damage to them transporting them but it might be what they need we just didn't know and so I looked at the doctor and I just said well what would you do and she said I'd stay the night I'd stay here I'd have you stay here and I would have them stay the night see if they make it through the night oh god and so um like to have to have a doctor say to you if if they make it Mm -hmm. if they make it through the night I'm so sorry. Yeah, and it it was, you know, it all happened so fast that it took, it just took time for me to, like, long after, you know, we'll get into the NICU a bit, but long after that, like, you realize, gosh, there's no, there's no preparing someone for a traumatic birth like we had. You know, there's no way to prepare yourself for how you're going to respond when a doctor says some of those things, you know, we had, we had that first night and, you know, we, we saw them, they were literally wrapped in like saran wrap. Their skin was paper thin. Their heads were disproportionately like larger than their body. You know, preemies, preemies have a different look and, you know, you dream of this like plump baby that you're going to deliver and you, you know, getting, to the point where you just want that baby out, you know, that, those are the stories that you hear most of the time. And, um, I just felt, I felt like we all got robbed. 
but I also knew that God was in control and my faith was being incredibly tested. And I felt that even in the moments of like making the decision to keep them there and seeing them for the first time and, you know, feeling my belly and they're not in there that first night in the hospital and just thinking this is altogether wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. That's how I felt. So, so they made it through the night. They made it through the night and they went through a series of tests the next morning and they both had VSDs and ASDs, which are just, you know, heart ventricular septal defects and atrial septal defects where those, they're just not complete. You know, their lungs were very, very weak. And so we knew there were some issues there. We didn't know about brain bleeds until about day three of being there. And I had tons of people coming to see me. You know, I was, you know, I was only in the hospital for two days. On day two, my parents arrived, all my coworkers arrived. And actually something that you said, you probably don't even remember, Heidi, when you came that next day to the hospital, I was sitting there and I wasn't really crying you know, I was a little numb. I was a little just in shock, I think is fair to say. And uh, you guys all walked in and you came over to me and gave me a big hug and you were crying and you were, and you said, I'm so sorry you lost your pregnancy. And you were like whispering it to me. And I think because you you knew that that's what it was. It was, it was going to be a loss. It wasn't that I had preemies. It was a loss and it was an unknowing of what could have been. And I did, you know, I've had a miscarriage since then. So I know what it's like to lose a pregnancy, but I did, I didn't recognize it then when you were saying it, I just thought this was a traumatic event, but it was a loss. It was a big loss, big loss for all involved. Um, Three months. Yes. But three months, it's amazing how every day matters. And so we walked through, we walked through those initial days and we left the hospital when I was discharged and we were on the way home. And my husband, you know, like I said, man, a few words, he was just holding my hand and he said, you know, I, this is the type of thing that changes people. We will never be the same no matter what happens with the boys, whatever the outcome is, we won't be the same. And and I was so scared. I thought, I know, am I going to be a am I going to be a better person? Am I going to be a you know, what how is this going to change me? And how is really how is God going to use this in my life? Because um I believed that he gave that God is the one who gave me the boys. And I know this podcast isn't about our faith, but it's a big part of my life. And well, I knew that anyone who's listening to this podcast, listen to episode one and knows that I'm a big believer in Jesus. <laughs> so, and that, so well, we're going to, we're going to talk about, and I, and birth is such a pregnancy and birth is such a spiritual experience. Motherhood is such a yes. spiritual journey. So, but I, I didn't understand. I was like, I know you gave them to me, but why, you know, why all this? And it took so long, honestly, for me to even get some of those answers and 
to have a really, really hard time and to see how compassion can grow out of tough times and, you know, humility. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of lessons I learned early on and really feeling alone actually drew me closer to God because I felt like nobody really could understand. Micah couldn't, my parents couldn't, not a single friend. Um, my situation too was just, you know, they were in the NICU and I stopped working and I took leave and my life changed completely overnight. And I was dealing with a premature birth and my responsibility in that. And was I responsible, like questions like, should I have ever taken Clomid? Was my body never intended to have twins? And, but God knew all of that. And, you know, working through some of those, how could I be so irresponsible and not know I was in labor? And when you say work through those, did you, did you go to counseling? So, you know, I tried counseling and I just didn't have a great counselor, so I didn't stick with it. No, a lot of journaling and praying okay. and talking, you know, I started talking to Micah. I started getting some things out. I started talking to my mom about how I felt after about a month, I would say I started talking. I mean, everybody was trying to throw all kinds of pills at me when I first came home because I was so depressed. I was like not speaking hardly very little about what I was feeling. You were in shock. Yeah. Physical shock. Yes. You know, <sighs> tell me about, you had to go home. I had to go home. Mm-hmm. When did you go home? I went home on day three of the NICU. Yeah. yeah. I went, they kept me one full day after, and then I went home the morning of the, the morning was Tuesday morning. So it would have been 27 weeks that the day that I went home. And do they like want you to actually leave the hospital. Like I understand that you need to check out of your room, but did you like just want to stand at the window or like, or do they want you to like actually leave and go get rest and then come visit your babies? Like how does that go? So the NIC unit is not where they keep babies with windows. There are no windows to the NIC unit. It's a private door. That's like a movie thing I've right, got in my right, head. Then. Right, No, it, and especially if you're not at a ginormous hospital, it's a little door with a sign on it, NICU, and it leads you, this particular place had like room for seven or eight babies, and if you are a parent, you ring a doorbell, and they let you state your name, and you go in, and you have to scrub your hands like you're going into a surgery, every part of you, and you cover your face if it's like flu sleeves, you, you do preventative care when you like, like, as far as like passing on bacteria and then you're allowed to go back to wherever your babies are. And they, you're allowed to go. I think the only time the unit closes is when shifts, shifts are changing. So from like six thirty to seven thirty, they close the unit okay. and at night after 10, you can't stay past 10 and you can go as early as like 7.30 in the morning. So night's off limits unless you're, there's a special scenario. But I basically went home and showered and went right back. And I spent my days, I would wake up, have breakfast, Micah would leave for work, and I would go to the NIC unit and I would sit with them. 
outside their incubators. And kangaroo care is a big part of um, just keeping them skin to skin um, as much as they could tolerate because their bodies were so fragile to move a, a micropremie requires an immense amount of like caloric um, what's it called? Output. Output. And so you don't want to move them too much but that kangaroo care is really important and so once a day I was allowed to do kangaroo care for about 20 minutes okay. when they were really little. What did that feel like? What did it feel like? I can't really explain it because they were so little. I wouldn't just imagine that you would feel like you were healing them. Yeah, it felt like a very vain attempt at trying to love your child. It felt like this is all I can do. And I had to be so, you have to be so still, but you're supposed to be calm because they can hear your heartbeat. And there's a lot to it that, you know, they, the nurses help you with. But it was really hard actually for me because I just felt... It didn't feel like enough. It didn't feel like I was, like I could do enough. You know, I'm watching them. I'm sitting there. You know, we decorated their incubators with pictures of us, and we recorded. We had little recordings of our voices and singing to them and praying over them. And they would play those like once a day. And everything's very calculated in the NIC unit because you want that you want them to have as much of a calm, steady, consistent environment so that their bodies can grow. And, you know, apnea and bradycardia are big parts of lung development. They stop breathing and then they start again and the monitors go off with all of that. And so my days were, especially the first six weeks, were just spent, you know, watching the monitors go off and the nurses come over and readjust their, you know, first they go from their ventilator to a CPAP machine to a nasal cannula and they learn to breathe on their own. And these are all just huge, huge milestones. They are huge milestones, yes. And you, you celebrate those victories. And, you know, everyone told us when we first got into the NIC unit, this is another world and it's two steps forward and one step back. You will get out of here. We, no two experiences are the same. And there, are, there were other families in there. And there's not a lot of talking. You know, you don't really talk to the other mothers. The nurses, the two nurses that were at my birth became my friends during my stay. And I still keep up with them. Um, because they had just such a profound, they knew me at a time that nobody else did. And they saw my births and they would, if, you know, if they were on here, they would say that the births of Mason and Isaac were some of the most dramatic and traumatic that they'd ever seen a baby go through and then survive. They could not intubate Mason, which I didn't get to all this, but meaning they couldn't get the tube down his throat to get any kind of carbon dioxide return. And they tried several times and they just weren't able to get it in there. And then the neonatologist literally walked in and she slid it in like it was butter on that like third try. Okay. And the nurses had tried, both of them had tried. And they just, 
they're like, they're miracles. I mean, these NICU nurses see miracles, I feel like, all the time. But Lisa and Isaac were pretty special. <sighs> so special. They're so special. So did your milk come in? No, that was that an interesting experience. <laughs> that was pumped in. Okay. They literally wheeled in a pump to me the first night I was there and started telling me to start pumping. Okay. My milk did not come in. I pumped it in. I was okay. pumping and trying to get my body to respond to the pump machine. And then when I went home, I went with that hospital grade pump home and I had pictures of the boys and I would sit and look at their pictures and my milk did come in to some degree with that. And I would pump near their incubators every three hours I was pumping and I was producing very, very little milk, okay. but they were enough, giving them, they were giving them. Yes. Okay. Which is like liquid gold, gold. to yes. a micro preemie. Yes. At a micro preemie, there is no formula that is going to give their bodies, you know, what your milk could do. And this is why we have milk drives <laughs> and milk donations right. for preemies and micro preemies. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how long did you do that for pumping every three hours? I, well, I pumped the entirety of their NICU stay, which was September 14th through Isaac came home. Uh, December 15th and Mason came home December 23rd. Mason stayed a little bit longer. So okay, I, wait. So how many day, How many days or how long was that in the NICU? Roughly just call it three months. Three months. I mean, three, three. So they finished their, their pregnancy, yes. basically, their gestation. Yes. And then were able to come home. They were able to come home. Mason had eye surgery. And they were able to come home without oxygen, but they were on heart monitors because they were still having a fair amount of bradycardias and whatnot. So there was a lot of equipment with them when they first came home. Came home. But I pumped throughout that entire time, around the around the, in the middle of the night and all that. Yeah. And then I tried to get them to nurse, and it just wasn't. They were used to having you know bottles, little tiny bottles. So I could never get it to work. Um, and so I pumped for an additional like three months and around six months, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I had a nurse come visit me actually, one of the NICU nurses and she saw me pumping she was like, you're still doing that. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's like the least I can do. And she said, how are you doing with that? And I just burst into tears and I didn't know, you know, how I was like, it's actually awful. <laughs> I'm and so you, tired of it. And I feel like I'm not producing and I was taking fenugreek. And I mean, I was like pumping myself with anything that would keep my milk up. And oh my goodness, I was exhausted with it. And uh, she was like, you know, it's okay to stop. Like you have done it long enough. It is okay to stop. Nobody had said that amazing. to me. Yeah. I'm like, six months is so long and so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're I just, I'm right now, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes of going through everything that you went through and then going home alone and then waking up every three hours in the middle of the night without my babies to pump milk and bring into And I'm just like, you're a freaking warrior, <laughs> a warrior. So tell us how they're doing now. <laughs> so they are... They're great. They're in fourth grade and 
they, as far as, you know, a lot of people want to know, like from a health standpoint, what was that road like and what are they, you know, how are they now? So, you know, we, we had multiple surgeries with particularly with Mason. He, there was a smaller one. Um, he had retinopathy of prematurity, which back in the old days would have left you blind. And it's, um, I don't have to get into all the details, but he had a corrective surgery for that. And then he had, he developed craniosynostosis, which is a rare um, fontanelle, like where your soft spot is. Those fontanelles are called, they're supposed to like over time close. In your skull. In your skull. And his closed prematurely. And so he had a massive like head reconstruction when he was. Because that would prevent the brain from growing. And he was at a year old, he was 14 pounds, failure to thrive, very sick. And we didn't know why. And it was due to that. So he underwent uh, with two phenomenal surgeons. Stop for a second. One year old. Yes. Not quite even a year. 11 years. uh, Excuse me. 11 months. 14 pounds. 14 pounds. I mean, they wanted to put a feeding tube in him so many times when he was home. And I just. Let me, let me just put this in perspective for you. Max weighed 13 pounds on his two week appointment when he was two weeks old. My two week old was the same size as your one year old. And he was, he was just pitiful. I mean, he was in an really unhappy, cried all the time, wouldn't eat wouldn't drink, take a bottle. Um, and we didn't know why. And a lot of it was because his brain was pushing on that front part of his skull and it was painful to suck on a bottle, caused pain up there, you know, as he was sucking, it caused pain up in his head. And that's a whole other podcast and another story about how we even found out that, that he had that condition. And fortunately, right after he had that, he started um, crawling. He wasn't crawling yet either at 11 months. So he started crawling and taking a bottle and he started to thrive after that. Isaac had, they both had asthma as toddlers, pretty severe. I would say, I don't know how you, you rate asthma, but I mean, we, we were very routine visitors to, we were in the hospital with, you know, RSV. We, um, had, I can't even tell you how many trips in the winter, you know, with colds that then led to pneumonia. And so as little, little people, they were very sick and it just required a lot of staying at home. And they were in an in-home daycare when I went back to work and that worked out pretty well because there were only a few kids there. And I had a question for you about that. So when you deliver micro preemies, how like, what does maternity leave look like? Like, and if what is going back to work? Like, did you? I'm so confused when this happens. Like, do, your no babies don't come treatment. home for no. three months. Like, do you have to go back to work at six weeks when your babies aren't even home? Yeah, it's the same. It's really? the same. It was all the same. I mean, there was no. You don't extra. get like a second maternity leave when they come home from. No, the I mean, I was so glad they let they kept my position. I stopped working for six months. Oh, good for you. Because I'm like, that makes me so angry. So like if you live like normal people, you would just have to go back to work right away. And then your babies come home and then you have no time with them at all. Uh, It's so sad. Nick, I mean, there's (sighs) a lot. There were a lot of babies that didn't have moms sitting by incubators because they had to go back to work. Oh, my God. That just makes my heart break. 
I hope there's like, I would just pray that someday some CEOs all over listen to this and say, no, no, there should be, there no, should be a change if your, in that. If your baby comes home, you get time off again. Yeah. Or we're not going to make you come back to work until your babies are home with you. And then you've had family bonding time. Right. Okay. Anyway, sorry. All right. I'm so sorry. they were sick, um, both wearing, you know, little kid glasses and all that kind so of stuff. Cute. <laughs> um, very small up until I would say when they, when they turned five, they stopped seeming as small, you know, for a while you kind of correct their, their age. So, you know, you, the, for the first year we would say they're six months, but corrected age, they're three months because it helps people understand why they're so small. Um, And then that kind of fades out when they start to blend in as far as like size goes. Now they are average height, average weight. Nobody's extremely tall or extremely short. Um, They, Mason had speech therapy for a fair amount of time. Physical therapy is little guy, physical speech, OT, all of that when he was real little and speech therapy carried until he was in second grade. So pretty much Mason had like the brunt of the issues, right? And he was just a few ounces smaller. Right. And he was probably conceived as we talked about a couple of days, like when you said earlier, every day matters, mm-hmm. like just those few ounces, those few days made the difference in Isaac's strength. Yes. And, you know, Mason having to have more surgeries and things than, than Isaac. Yeah. So, okay. Before we finish yes. up, <laughs> there is a story I want you to tell about, um, about you and Micah okay. spending the night with the, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but spending the night with the babies in the hospital. Do you remember the story for the first time and Micah thinking? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. This is a funny story. Okay, okay. yes. I just want to, let's, first I just all, want, I, there were some funny moments. You were able to have some laughter oh, yeah. and some funniness. And I just want to share this okay. story. So you got to understand Micah is an incredibly deep sleeper. Like, He's not a morning person like I am, and he's a very deep sleeper, always has been. Okay. So right before they send you home with preemies, the the nursing staff in the NICU like for you to spend a night with them, with the babies in a, like a maternity room where you would normally deliver, but they, they wheel the babies into you and they basically say like, care for them through the night. And if you have any questions, anything with the heart monitors, cause you've never had the babies through the night yet. So it's just a, it's a way to kind of ease you into bringing them home. So we get there and Mike has kind of got his pallet lined up or set up over by the windowsill. I'm in the bed and the boys are in, it looks like a big, huge, ginormous cage kind of crib and they're co-bedded together in there. I've got all my, my pumping stuff, all the milk and everything. We watch a little TV, go to sleep and the boys woke up like, probably every two hours throughout the night. And I'm like taking one and feeding them, taking the next one, feeding them. And Micah is like passed out. And I honestly didn't even have a ton of time to like wake him up. As soon as I would put them down, I'd fall back asleep. And I would think 
next time he'll hear them cry. I mean, because their cries are pretty loud. <laughs> you'll wake up in two hours, you know. So I think it's probably 5.30 in the morning and the boys are sleeping and I had just, or I had just put them back after feeding them and I laid down the bed and Micah like jumps up from his little bed and he's like, oh my gosh, we forgot to feed them. <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, He's like, what time is it? And he's all like completely disoriented, like where he is. He forgot to feed them. I'm like, yeah, no, we didn't forget to feed them. It's like almost six in the morning. He's like, oh my gosh, I thought we just like forgot them all night. <laughs> and you were like, um, no, I've been taking care I'm of I'm like, them. no, I've been feeding them like literally all night. They wake up every two hours. <laughs> And I don't understand how you didn't hear them crying. He's like, I didn't hear anything. I'm like, well, I'm glad he slept good. <laughs> so many moms. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. I, I have had many moments where, uh, you know, my own husband was like, they slept through the night. Nope. <laughs> Absolutely I think you just not. have an, like, I just have an ear, yeah, you know. It's different. It's, different. it's like and you feel it. I actually even still now will, f- like, it's weird. I will wake up. Uh, literally about 30 seconds before one of them comes in my room. Like I, tell. I'm just synchronized. I can tell they're yeah. coming. I'm synchronized. Yeah, totally. It's so weird. So, oh my gosh, it's just so funny. Well, before we end, tell us about what your favorite baby product yes. or baby products. So I don't know. know. These are 10, this is 10 years ago, but one of my Maybe favorite. Maybe they're still on the market. They are. I looked them up. <laughs> so have you heard of the baby briefcase? Mm-mm. I have not. I'm super organized. So keeping all of the like pre like pregnancy paperwork, all the doctors, like anything the doctor gave me. And then the, I would say into like the first year of different doctor's appointments, place for your birth certificate. It's an organization like file system. It's a, literally, it looks like a briefcase and it has all these different sections and it helped me keep anything pertinent that I needed organized. Okay. It's called the baby briefcase that's and you can buy it on Amazon. Um, that's supposed to be No, you can say Amazon. Okay. That's fine. I'll put I, a link to it. It was normal. It, it was given to me. And at the time, the only place you could buy it was Nordstrom. Okay. And I know they still sell it at Nordstrom, but I found it on Amazon. It's a great, it's like $30. It has like this, it won some sort of medal for like baby products back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, and it was a gift to me at one of the showers that I did end up having. And after I still have the, I still have everything that I used from the boys. And, and so it's also like a safekeeping type thing too. Yeah. For all the memories. Yeah. And, and you know, when you get your growth, you know, you leave your pediatrician office and you see their growth milestones and whatnot in the charts, you can, it's a place to keep it all. It's like your baby journal. But yes. in a little organized yes. briefcase. I love it. That's one. And then little giraffe blankies. Mm-hmm. I think those are my favorite only because the boys each had one that's like so ratty. It's in their keepsake box. I, they started sleeping with those when they were little and they just, they went everywhere with us and we have two of them. I just love them. And I know that they're, you know, not a true baby product, but I think when I look back at them they're as just babies, so they're soft. so sink and soft. Yeah. So those were also gifts and we ended up having to like replace them a couple times, but 
I will link. Those are my two favorites. Oh, I love it. And I'll link to both of the products in the show notes. So if any moms want to pick them up. So Gail, I love you so much. Thank you for sharing your story. And um, I hope the boys get a chance to listen to it too someday. Someday. One day. Thank you for having me. Yep. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.